0: Most of us are like, what's a palm? Like a palm tree, right? Well, in Jesus's day in the Middle East, in the desert, right, there were palm trees. It's probably not quite what we envision, it's probably much shorter, but there were these different palm leaves, and they used them as like big fans. And when he came into Jerusalem, we'll be reading about it, um, they used these palms. And so we remember this day by, that, by what they used, how to greet him, these palms. Now, as he came in, as, as we just read on our little prayer here, he knew what the end of the week would hold, right? And for most of us, um, you know, in hindsight, we can say, well, yeah, this was great. He had to do this. But, you know, in, the, in that moment, most of the people around him didn't really get it. And it was kind of a big deal. And so what I want to remind us of is, can you imagine, and we can't, but knowing this is your last few days, this is it, right? This is like, you know, at the end of this week, it's going to be death. It's hard for us to imagine that. It's hard for us to comprehend that. The only thing I can kind of think of, and, and I've had these moments, maybe some of you have had it. If you're a mother that has more than one child, you have your first child, and you're just excited, and you're pregnant, and you're like, yay, I'm going to have this baby. And then all of a sudden, birth comes, and you're like, oh, right? Like, uh, men will never understand. Like, thankfully now with medical interventions, some of us have had epidurals or some sort of medical uh pain reliever but when you're pregnant though with your second child you know what's coming and all of a sudden in pregnancy at first the the joy of the fact that you're pregnant kind of wears off and then all of a sudden I remember I remember sitting one day sitting on the couch and it hit me like oh this baby's got to come out (laughs) you know what I mean like like there's this end and you know that it's not going to be painful but you know on the other side of the pain is going to be something amazing right but yet you you know because you've been through that you've kind of got this anticipation well jesus knew what was coming and we see that like mary had kind of been warned but we still don't think that she could fully understand what was going to happen we see here though in luke chapter 2 we know that mary had been told by an angel she knew this was a virgin birth right she she knew that the Um, shepherds came the night of his birth to say, angels showed up and told us to come find you. You know, like all these supernatural things were happening. So she knew, okay, something is special about this child. But what was really interesting is Jesus, obviously being a little boy, he had to be taken to the temple to be um, circumcised and to be dedicated to the Lord. And you would buy back your firstborn and um, just because like the firstborn animals would be given to God. But your son, you couldn't just give him. You would have to give him to God, and then you would buy him back, and it was just this Jewish tradition, And, and so they bring Jesus to the temple to do this, and we see here in Luke chapter 22 that while they were there, something happens. It says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Remember, he's a tiny little baby. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two small young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. Who was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what is customary of the law that the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And all the Gentiles said, Yay! That's you. Say, Yay! it's awesome like seriously like he came for us too okay it says for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the gentiles the glory of your people israel the child's father and the mother marveled at what was said about him so this is just another thing right to add to the list of this amazing stuff right it's like oh my goodness an angel came and said I'd be pregnant it would be of God and I hadn't been with anybody and I got pregnant and and then you know we went here and and the shepherds way off in a field traveled online to come tell me that angel showed up and said this is God's Messiah, like that's kind of interesting, and then these kings, like these wise guys from way over in the east came and brought us gold and frankincense, and like they traveled all this way just to give us all this wealth because they knew this Messiah was born, and then now we go into Jerusalem, right, to the temple, and this guy that we've never met before comes in there and starts prophesying, saying not only is he going to save Israel, but all nations, even Gentiles. I mean, the Jews at that time didn't look too fondly upon us because we did not serve the one true God. And Jesus is going to save us too. But then it goes on. Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Huh. Poor Mary, right? I'm thinking, well, at this point I may be thinking, like, well, what about Joseph? Is he not going to be around for that? Which he obviously wasn't. You know, but we don't think poor Joseph. We think, well, at least he was in heaven or paradise when all this happened. But, but Mary was warned that, look, he, not only is he the Messiah, not only is this going to cause the fall, rising and the falling of, you know, many of these Jewish leaders who think that, you know, that they've got the answer and really they're, they've got to be ready for this Messiah to come, but your, your soul will be pierced. I mean, unless we are a mother who has lost a child violently right in front of us, it's hard to describe, right? I mean, when we lose a loved one, we do feel that that mourning and that piercing of our soul. But she was going to watch it in a very violent way. She was going to be there and see him suffer. I find it interesting that we get the cross and we put it up and You know, we got across here, we put lights behind it, and it becomes a symbol of salvation. It becomes a symbol of what God has done for us. But in Mary's day, it was a symbol of the worst form of torture that the Romans could inflict upon the people they conquered. In some cities and areas, when they would first conquer a a town or an area— when you would go up, they would put crosses on both sides of the road for miles leading up to that town, and they would take all of the officials and people from that town and they would hang them on their crosses. So if you were out of town the day the Romans invaded, when you came in, you would see and you would have no desire to try to fight against those Roman soldiers. That cross represented torture, and that's what Mary had to endure and watch Jesus hanging on that cross. And Simeon is trying to tell her, look, it's going to pierce your soul when this happens. I'm telling you all the good, but I'm forewarning you that there's going to be some bad in there. It's kind of like, I'm telling you the good. You got a baby. You're pregnant. There's going to be the birth. That's not going to be fun. But then afterwards, well, we won't talk about the teenage years. But afterwards, when they're little and they're cute, right, there's going to be a lot of joy And see, what Jesus did on the cross pierced her soul, but when he rose again, and that's why, you know, our cross is empty, because he didn't stay on it. He got down, right? They put him in a tomb, and then he rose again. But see, they knew she was foretold. It goes on while they were there. It says, Then also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penium from the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was age 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. But just like a pregnant woman knowing, well, one day they got to come out, right? This woman knew, one day I'm going to have a sword pierce my soul. Something is going to happen to him. He is the Messiah. He has come. But I don't quite understand or know yet how it's going to end. She didn't quite know. But we know Jesus knew, right? If we flip a little bit forward here in Luke to chapter 9, we see Jesus talking about what was going to happen. In Luke 9, verse 18, it says, Once Jesus, when he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, and others say I, Elijah, and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. See, he knew who he was, and he said, well, what are other people saying, right? Well, at least the level of a prophet, right? And they knew from the scriptures that Elijah had to come before the Messiah came. So they thought, well, maybe, you know, you've got the spirit of Elijah on you, and you're like Elijah, which we know we could go into whole about who that was. Elijah appeared for them on Mount Transfiguration. Many people say that John the Baptist had the spirit of Elijah on him to, you know, prophesy the way he did. But Jesus is saying, okay, I get it why they're thinking that because they're thinking the time has come for the Messiah to come, which it has. But who do you say I am? You've been with me, you know me. And Peter says, you are the Messiah. We know this. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone of this. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Again, it's this is something great. The Messiah is here. It's something good But you must know that the Messiah comes to die Yes, there's a lot in between and yes, he becomes an example for us and yes, he teaches us but literally What gets me on christmas is I see the little baby in the manger and I think of the joy But he literally was born so he could die for us He knew all along. The prophet Simeon told her, look, he knew what the scripture said. It says he was a man, a righteous man, a man of learning. He knew. Okay, if this is the Messiah, I've been waiting for the Messiah. I know what the scripture says. The Messiah is going to be led. He's going to die. So he could die for our sins. He's going to be that sacrificial lamb. And so here we have it. Jesus is telling them. He's flat out saying, Look, I must be rejected. I must suffer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law will reject me. And I must be killed so that on the third day, I can be raised to life. I need to have those three days. When we look through the different scriptures, what does he do during those three days? It says he goes down to hell and he defeats Satan. He takes the keys of life and death away from Satan. And now... It's all on Jesus. But he knew. The Messiah's had a really hard, the, the, the disciples had a really hard time with this. There's different, you know, as you read through the different gospels, all the different, you know, point of views of what's happening during that time. One of them talks about how Peter at one point says, No, Lord, not you. I'll fight for, to, to the death to keep you alive. And Jesus actually says to him at one point, that's just Satan speaking through you. Satan, get behind me. He's like, don't talk me out of this. Don't try to appeal to my emotion, right, to my human side. Like, I must go to the cross. I must die. I must do this so I can bring salvation. So he knew. We know because we can read the whole thing and we can look back. But in those moments... Jesus was probably very alone in this because we read all the way up through the Passover the disciples really didn't get it. When he tries telling Peter, don't, you know, when it's going to get down when they when they all reject me and there's this trial and 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 you're gonna you're gonna deny me. You're gonna deny me three times, Peter. Peter keeps denying, oh, I won't, no, I won't. And Jesus knew not only that he was gonna go to the cross and die, but that everyone around him would abandon him. That they would deny him, that he had to be alone in what he did, and yet he still did it. Sometimes it's hard to go through the pain to know that the good thing is going to come on the other end, right? What is the good thing that came on the other end? He rose to life, and what he did changed the world, right? He then walked on the earth for 40 days. The Holy Spirit then comes down upon everything, and literally our world changed Before Christ, unwanted children were cast aside. Babies were literally thrown off of rocks and cliffs. They were left for wolves to eat. Now all of a sudden you've got Christians that are taking care of orphans and widows. You've got peace and joy, whereas before it was just greed and try to get ahead. You've got salvation where you can all of a sudden now accept yourself for who you are in this moment and just know you believe in Jesus. Like, literally, our world changed. We would not have an America if it was not for Christ and Christianity. It's just amazing when you look at the whole history of it. See, the biggest thing that happens on Palm Sunday that we like to remind ourselves about is his ride into Jerusalem. We see it here in John chapter 12, and it starts in verse 12 says the next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that jesus was on his way to jerusalem they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting hosanna hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord blessed is the king of israel so we've got this crowd and and we read further on that they had seen what he had done with raising lazarus from the dead they had seen the miracles. Many probably were there when he turned, um, you know, the loaves, a few loaves that fed 5,000, fed 5, 7,000 in another area. You know, so you got these people that they've been around Jesus enough. He's been on the scene for a couple years now. They, you know, maybe they had the uncle who has, was blind and went there and could see again. Or or maybe they, maybe their niece was the little girl that had died and Jesus came and touched her and she rose to life again. Or or maybe they knew Lazarus because Lazarus was, you know, really prominent in, in their synagogue. And, and he had been dead. They had been to the funeral. They had, they had smelt him when they opened the thing. They knew he would be gone. And so they knew who Jesus was. And they knew the miracles that were happening. And they were all waiting for that Messiah. And so when he comes in for this festival, this Passover festival, they're so excited, and they say, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. They begin to realize and know that they, they need a king again. They haven't had a king since, you know, back to King David's family line, and then they had been taken off to Babylon, and when they came back, they never had a king again. And now Rome's kind of come over, and they, they put Herod as their king, but he's not a Jewish king. They don't, they don't, the Jews don't see him as their king But Jesus, now he can talk to God. He can bring miracles about. Let's make him our king. So you have this crowd. You have these these people that are saying, when you do everything we like, and when you do everything we need, and when you bring healing to us, we exalt you, and we honor you. Right? Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat on it. as it was written, right, we know that the, the scriptures prophesied about how the Messiah would come in. It says, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that all these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So you have two different groups of people in the crowd. You have those that have seen the miracles and they believe. And their excitement over Jesus coming into town infuriates the Pharisees. Who Their only control, because the Romans have taken over the government aspect, is through the churches to control. And so they are looking at it as, we can't control the crowd because we don't control Jesus. And so we have to put Jesus to death so we can now control the crowd again. And what is interesting here is we, you know, as people today, as Gentiles today reflecting back on this, we always think we'd be in the right. We'd be in the right crowd, don't we? It's kind of like when we think back to what happened in World War II in Germany with the Nazis, right? We always think, like, well, I'd be the one hiding, you know, Anne Frank. I'd be the one bringing her food. I wouldn't be the one working for the government that, you know, has to go and take her and put her in the the concentration camp. We do this. We look back on this day and we'd say, I'd be with a palm branch saying, Messiah, Messiah, the king has arrived. But honestly, we can look at our lives today and say, am I a Pharisee? Or do I have complete trust in who Christ is? What is a Pharisee? What is a modern-day Pharisee, right? People always ask me this. What is a modern-day Pharisee? Well, a modern-day Pharisee is someone who's judgmental, who is rule-oriented, who thinks that by my works I am saved. And if you are not working hard enough, I may point it out to you. And I believe that the number one root of the pharisaical attitude and spirit and thing that we can fall into really easily is control. We want to control. We want to control what's going to happen in our lives. We want to control what happens in your life. We want to control. That's what the Pharisees wanted. They couldn't control the crowds, so they wanted to take Jesus out so they could be back in control. See, Satan works the same way on us today. If in the back of your mind it's, I feel out of control, I want to be in control, I need to be in control, and when I'm not in control, I hate myself, that's a pawn. You're being a pawn of the devil, right? The devil's trying to use you. See, trust is totally different than control, right? When I put my trust in God and say, like, okay, God, I'm going to try my best, but I'm going to trust you that I'm saved, not based on what I do, but based on what Christ did on the cross— I'm going to worship you. I'm going to honor you because I know you've got all the answers. I don't. It's totally different than the attitude of control. And see, as human beings, we get pulled all the time, right? We, all the time that's going on in our head, right? Especially when we got little kids. You want to control them. You want to control them. You want to control them. And they get to a point where you can't control them anymore. So then how do you respond? You get angry, You want to control your spouse. You want them to see it your way. And when you don't, then you get angry, and it causes fights and divisions among us. And instead, our attitude should be one of trust. God, I don't get it, but I know you brought this spouse into my life and that you love them as much as I love them, and I'm going to trust you that the situation will work itself out. Show me what to say. Help me. Right? Do we either go to the source or do we try to control? Those are the areas where we can look at it and say, like, all right. Now, what was the purpose of Jesus coming into the city? He was coming in to celebrate the Passover meal, right? The last, we he ends up having the last supper. Many Jewish people continue to have the Passover meal. To this day, they still do. What was the Passover meal? It was a reminder of when they were in Egypt as slaves, and Moses came, and he did all these different things um, petitions to the pharaoh and said hey let the people go or this plague will come on you and you know some people get upset by how the final plague panned out but I mean it wasn't like they started off by killing off the firstborn sons it started off with flies are going to come in frogs are going to come in the water is going to turn into blood gnats were going to come in all you know boils will come on your animals this is going to happen this is going to happen and he kept going to the pharaoh and saying look this happened to all of your people but it didn't happen over here where the Israelites were. Can you not see that it is our God inflicting this on you and he's telling you to let us go? And it says the Pharaoh's heart would get hard, it'd get hard, it get hard, it get hard. And finally, for the final plague, Moses went to the Pharaoh and said, and he had Aaron as a spoke, spokesperson, and they said, look, you must let the people go. If not, the angel of death is going to come and the firstborn son of every house is going to die. And then Jesus, Moses went to the children of Israel and said, now you must find a lamb that is perfect, no broken bones, nothing wrong with it, right? Don't find the, you know, the lamb over here with a problem and say, well, I'll get rid of that one because he's not going to make me any money anyway. No, find a perfect lamb, one that means something to you, one that's valuable. I want you to cut him up, kill him, right? Have this meat for dinner, And if your family's not big enough to eat the entire lamb in one night, share it with another smaller family. And, but take the blood when you kill the animal and put it on the doorposts of your home. So when the death angel comes, when he sees that the blood of the lamb has been put on the doorposts of your home, he will continue on because he knows that you are covered by the blood that you trust. You have no control over this. You don't understand it. You don't want to take one of your lambs and do this because lambs are cute and fun and in a sense, if you've ever been like around, I've been around baby goats. They are the cutest darn things ever. If I didn't think they would poop in my house and they would grow up to be a stubborn lamb that would eat everything, or goat, I would have baby lambs. I mean, they're super cute, but they grow up into teenagers. We know how that is, right? But this angel of death would see that the lamb was put on their doors. It would not take a life. And at the end, right, Pharaoh wakes up, his oldest born son is dead. He he grieves, he tells them to get out of Taj, leave. And in preparation for this, they had told them, look, you know, have take all the yeast out of your home, have unleavened bread. What does that mean? It means bread they can make on the run. Because yeast bread, you'd have to let it sit and not disturb it, and and it doesn't turn out right if you have yeast in it. And so they go. And so now in remembrance of that, every year, when the Passover time would come, they would sacrifice the lamb and have that blood shed. They would eat that meat in remembrance of the body of the lamb that was shed for them, and they would eat that bread, remembering that they ran. They would have bir- bitter herbs to remember the sorrow that the Egyptians had and the sorrow of them being slaves. And, and of course, they would have wine with their meals. Why? Because most water sources are not good at that time. They don't have clean water. You make you very sick, so most people just drink wine. And they would have their meal. So now, here it is, a thousand years later, right? And Jesus is going into Jerusalem to remember this festival, this time when they remember that they trusted in God. They couldn't control what was happening. But they trusted in God. And that lamb's blood was shed for them. And we see here in Luke chapter 7 or no, excuse me, Luke chapter 22, verse 7. It says, Then the day of the unleavened bread came, right, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. I love that. You know, how a lot of people are like, Peter and John were like the pillars of the church. Yeah, they had to go get dinner ready. When you're in the kitchen helping, and you think like, oh, this is the lowest level. No, (laughs) it's not always the lowest level. It says Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. He replied, As you entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes Then he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So what is he doing? He's saying from now on, rather than a lamb meat having to be cut up every year and sacrificed and that blood is what was going to be shed for you, he's saying my body is going to be. And when you remember it, just simply take that unleavened bread and remember what Christ did for you, right? Right? And so he's saying, you're going to take this and you're going to remember what I did for you. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So when we take communion, we are remembering not only what Jesus did on the cross, but we are remembering that this is a time of trust. That this is something that the children of Israel had to go through when they were, you know, being delivered from slavery, from the Egyptians, and we need that deliverance just like they did. How do we get delivered? We get delivered huh, from, a lot of times, just the chains and bondages in our own mind, in our own head, and the circumstances and the temptations and the things that Satan does. We're going to have the ushers come forward and pass out the communion cups, there. They're pre-packaged because of COVID, so just hold on to them. You can peel off the top part and have your little bread be separate. But. So as we prepare our hearts to remember what Christ did for us on Good Friday, we are going to celebrate his resurrection on Sunday, right? But what will we do with this sacrifice? The whole point of Passover supper, the last supper, the communion, is for us to remember. Is for What's that? Yes, let's consecrate it. Thank you. Let's pray over this. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I consecrate this bread and juice for holy communion. Father, may your Holy Spirit fill it in the name of Jesus. We pray, remember, and trust in you. Amen? Amen. Thank you. So we can We can receive it. We can receive what he did. When we take this, we're receiving it we're remembering it. We're saying, yes, your body was broken. Yes, your blood was shed for me because you love me right where I'm at. So go ahead and open it and just hold on to it. Or we can dismiss it. This can just, you know, this just can be a habit we do. We come to church, we sing, we give, we we take our communion once a month. It's just a habit then I just dismiss it and then I leave tomorrow and I don't trust in him I'm like a Pharisee I have to control everything I have to deal with everything I don't I don't trust in the Lord to help me at all obviously we want our goal to be to trust in the book of Isaiah we see this great passage here it's prophecy of of Jesus Um, it's Isaiah chapter 53 And and if you read this whole passage here, it's really cool about Christ coming. Maybe we'll read it on Good Friday. But I love here in in verse 5, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And that was his body. His body was pierced, and then the blood flowed. And then he was crushed. He was beat for our iniquities. It was his body. So when when we look here at this bread, we can remember... That his body was beaten, pierced, and crushed for our salvation from all iniquities and transgressions. Now, some of you might think, like, Mary, I'm not holy enough to take this. I'm a sinner. Only sinners are allowed. If you don't have any iniquities, if you don't have any transgressions, why do you need it? I need it. I've got some iniquities I still deal with, right? I've done some transgressions this week. What are the difference? The iniquities are the sins you deal, with, you deal with, and you deal with, and you deal with, and you deal with, and you deal with. And You don't always quite overcome them, but you keep trying, right? Because you have faith and you believe. And, and we know as human beings, we have habits, and we have all these different chemicals in our brain, and, you know, these tendencies. But our transgressions are those one-time sins, and we do those too. So when we take this communion bread, it's because we need that salvation, it says, in the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. I love this. In Matthew 25, he says, while they were seated, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat this. This is my body. When we take this, just like the children of Israel would have that Passover meal, and they would eat the lamb, they would remember how they trusted in God, and he delivered them out of chains. When we take this, we remember and we trust in God that what Jesus did delivers us from the chains and the bondage. So let's take this. Father God, as we take this bread, we ask you to help us let go of control and pharisaical thinking as we go into this week, We know that we can't control the things around us, but instead, help us to trust in you. Trust that we're forgiven and that you love us just as we are, that you accept us. Help us to accept ourselves and those around us. Help us to extend love and peace. Help us, Father God, in the name of Jesus, help us. In verse 27, it says, Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's take the cup. Father God, as we take this juice and remember that your blood was shed, help us to trust in you and to receive that forgiveness of sins. May we walk out of here today cleansed and forgiven When Satan tries to remind us of the things we're still struggling with, that we just need to tell him, I'm forgiven. I have received God's forgiveness. Help us, Father God, in the name of Jesus. Not dismiss what he did on the cross, but instead apply it to our lives and trust in him. Help us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I pray for all of you. That you receive what he did on the cross, and you walk in trust. When the anxiety creeps up, and we, we try to control, and we want to control everything, we are just going to have to do our best to say, no. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to change my thoughts. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to let it go. And it takes a while to change our habits and our thoughts thought processes, doesn't it? It's hard. But I tell you what, if I don't remind you of it, I don't encourage you to do that, you're not going to even start doing it, right? But if I can remind you that it's okay to trust, we don't have to control. We can walk in that peace in knowing that what Christ did on the cross was enough. There's nothing more we can do beyond what he did. We just have to apply it to our lives. Let's pray. Father God, I ask you in the name of Jesus to help each and every single person here to learn how to love themselves in the moment they're in. Help them to understand that they're doing the best they can in the moment they're in and that you love them perfectly and utterly in this moment. That you want good things for them. That when Jesus went and died on the cross for them, it was for them in this moment. Help them to love themselves and receive your love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful week. Again, let everybody know about our Good Friday service, please, Friday at 1 o'clock. And I hope to see you all then. God bless.